The Old Testament lesson for the transfiguration of our Lord is from Exodus chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Be the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory be to thee. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I think you'll all know what I'm talking about if I say that everyone has moments when their true nature shines through. Usually it's not a very good moment. Usually it's a moment when the kind of masks that you've been using to hide your true self, your uh, identity, who you are, really inside of you, those masks are thrown away in a moment of crisis, like a moment of road rage when that guy cuts you off and you let him know what was coming to him. Your true nature really shines through. That happens time and again in life, especially because as we make our way through life, there are all kinds of expectations that we see in the people, from the people around us, expectations that we try to meet, and so we hide our true nature. We hide our true nature until some crisis brings it out or until we think no one's watching or until we think we're in private company. Maybe you've had the experience of uh, saying something not knowing that somebody else was listening who probably shouldn't have heard it, probably shouldn't have heard it because you were speaking ill of them. Or maybe you sent a text message to the wrong person. You ever had that happen before? That's unpleasant. When your true nature shines through, it's usually not a very good thing. We make our way through life masking ourselves, no pun intended, of course, you know, this is 
uh, takes on a different character at this point in American history, but masking ourselves because we have something to hide, something not good within us that we don't want others to see. This is helpful to bear in mind as we come to the Mount of Transfiguration this morning. The word transfiguration is just a, a complex word for being changed, being changed in appearance. So on that mountain, Jesus looked different than he normally looked. And you could say, in a way, that his true nature shines through on that Mount of Transfiguration. It shines through in all these ways that St. Matthew described. There was such bright, blinding, white light. It was overwhelming, the sight of Jesus. But there's something different about the way that Jesus' true nature shines through than when our true nature shines through, and there are two particular ways. One is that when he is hiding himself, it is not to deceive us like we hide ourselves to deceive one another. Jesus is never trying to deceive us, trying to be something that he is not. But when Jesus hides himself, when he keeps part of himself veiled, his glory veiled, it is actually to protect us. It's to keep us safe. Because what he is hiding is only goodness, only righteousness, only holiness, only glory, perfection, all of the things that belong to God from eternity by nature. He hides them. He hides them so that they do not kill us. Because, of course, to come into the presence of Jesus, to come into the presence of God in his glory, is to be unmasked. To have everything removed, everything covering you removed so that your true nature shines through and it is not good, especially, especially in comparison with God's perfection, with his glory, with his righteousness. So Jesus hides himself, not behind a mask of imperfection, not behind a mask of something wicked or something deceitful, but in humility. This is what the festival of Christmas is all about. Seeing our God taking on human flesh, hiding his glory so that we are not destroyed, but in fact, so that we are saved. The surprise of that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, as much as Peter wanted to stay there with Jesus in his glory, with Moses and Elijah, as much as he wanted to stay there, the surprise of that instance of God's glory revealed in Jesus is that it does not save It does not save. In fact, it does the opposite. It induces terror. It brings about fear. You heard it in our Old Testament lesson. What a strange episode in the life of Israel this was. Moses talking to God, face to face, receiving God's law, receiving his commandments, going to tell the people what God had said, and as he comes to the people, God's glory is reflected in his face. His face was shining, and he didn't even know it. But even that reflection was too much for them. You know you're not supposed to look at the sun because it's too bright. Imagine if you couldn't even look at the moon because the sun was so bright that the reflection from the moon would burn your eyes. That reflection of God's glory in the face of Moses terrified the people because, of course, once again, God's glory is like a a light shining in a dark place, uncovering everything that we would want to have remain hidden. And it unmasks us. It uncovers our wickedness, the sin that's in our hearts, and we can't stand. We can't stand in God's presence. You know that other story, we hear it around the beginning of summer at the festival of the Trinity. We hear this story of Isaiah 
the prophet, who when he's about to become a prophet, finds himself all of a sudden standing in the throne room of God, and God's glory is so magnificent that the best Isaiah can do is to describe this one tiny detail of it, that the train of the Lord's robe fills the temple. That's the best he can do to describe that glory. And Isaiah, who is a pious, upright, and righteous man, says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I can't stand in God's presence because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Direct, unmediated glory from God, direct contact with God, scorches sinners. That's something for you and me to know very well because, of course, we are always, we are always tempted to try to get to God in our own way, to have unmediated, direct access to God. You'll often find people saying things like they have a vision, that they've spoken to God themselves. And I don't mean necessarily in some mystical sense, although that happens, but people work it out in their minds that they have some kind of an arrangement with God, that they can speak to God and have a deal with God, just the two of them, apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus' word. Or you have people who strive for religious experiences, those mountaintop kinds of experiences where they can be in the presence of God without all of the trappings of religion, without that Bible, without that creed, without the liturgy, without all of the people sitting around them. They have direct, unmediated access to God. The myth of those experiences, the myth of trying to get at God on our own terms, of trying to approach God in his glory, is that somehow it would be good for us. In fact, it is quite the opposite. Because God in his glory, in his righteousness, in his perfection, does not save. Does not save if we approach him with all of our sin still in tow. There is something about that experience on the mountaintop of Jesus with all his glory revealed. There is something that is at the same time too much as it is also not enough. It is too much glory. If you look at paintings of the transfiguration, you'll see Jesus robed in white with light shining from him and Peter and James and John tumbling down the mountain because the glory of Jesus knocks them over and they're in terror. So much so that as the gospel writer Mark tells us, Peter doesn't even know what he's saying. He's kind of out of his mind as he asks Jesus if he'd like him to build three tents. It's too much. It's too much. And at the same time, for the likes of you and me, who know who we are, whose sins have been uncovered, whose unrighteousness has been revealed, that unmediated glory of God is also not enough, for we need something more. We need something new, something that God has done in Christ Jesus to save us. And that is why, as much as Peter wants to stay on the mountain with Jesus revealed in all his splendor, he cannot stay. And as he's trying to get Jesus to stay there with him on the mountain, the Heavenly Father really interrupts him. It's great. It's, it, the, the way that Matthew tells us the story is it's like Peter is this child who's just rattling on about what he wants, and the Father, the Father comes along and says, knock it off. While he was still speaking, while Peter was still thinking about his plans and his dreams for maintaining this vision of God, the Father stopped him and said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. It is not the vision of Jesus on that mountain in splendor and clothed in white robes. It is not that vision which Peter and James and John need. It is to listen to Jesus. Something that proved 
very difficult for the disciples all through their time with Jesus. In fact, especially for Peter. Jesus told them time and again what he had come to do. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, he says it three times specifically. I have come to be handed over to the authorities, and they will crucify me, and on the third day, I will rise. There should have been no mystery about what Jesus' true mission was in the world. And yet, time and again, they didn't listen. In fact, Peter himself tried to stop Jesus. Another moment that Jesus experienced the rebuke of God. For Jesus says, be quiet, Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he in fact says to Peter. You're not putting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Because once again, Peter wanted to maintain that unmediated contact, that glory of God, when in fact he needed something different. He needed to listen, to listen to the Jesus, to Jesus. That's why the miracles that Jesus performed were never enough. That's why Jesus was always saying to the people, when I heal you, don't go and tell everyone what I've done because they'll think that this is what I'm here to do, to heal the sick, to cast out demons and to cleanse the lepers. Yes, those are good things, wonderful things that I'm doing, but what I've come to do is to put away your sin, to take your sin to the cross and give you forgiveness. Listen to him. Listen to what he's here to do. Listen to him. Listen to the word of the cross as he makes his way to death, a death that was foretold by the prophets, a death that was testified to by God from the beginning. That serpent would have its head crushed by Jesus, even as his own heel was bitten by the serpent. Prophesied from the beginning, Jesus has come not to stand among us in splendor and glory, not to knock us over with his righteousness, not to knock us over with his perfection and his purity and his holiness, but to humble himself so that he can take all of our imperfection, our unrighteousness, our wickedness, our sin, everything that we're hiding behind these masks that we put on in order to meet everyone else's expectations. He takes all of that into himself so that we can stand in his presence without fear. So that we can stand in the presence of his glory forever, unafraid, but comforted. Jesus himself, as the glory passes away, as the sight of his glory diminishes, walks over to Peter and James and John, who are terrified. And he touches them and he says, rise and do not fear. Rise and do not fear. His words speak the peace that they need. Listen to him. Listen to him. Those words from the Heavenly Father about Jesus, his beloved Son, whom he has appointed to save you and me. Those words from the Heavenly Father are as important now as they were back then. In fact, perhaps even more important. Just think about all of the different voices that you hear day to day. The words that you hear other than Jesus' words. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Or think back to last Sunday's Gospel lesson as Jesus was at that wedding in Cana with his mother and his disciples. And his mother pointed out that they had run out of wine. And Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? But then Mary gives those incredible instructions to the servants. She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever instructions he gives you to do, obey him. Who are you listening to? Who are you obeying? Who, when you put up your mask and hide yourself, who are you trying to impress? Whose instructions are you following? Whose words are you trusting? Listen to him. If we are listening to anybody but Jesus, we are lost. We cannot stand. 
That is why being here every week to hear Jesus' words, and in fact, listening to Jesus' words day in and day out is so important. If you're not listening to Jesus, who are you listening to? No one good. No one who loves you. No one who has your soul's best interest in mind. No one who wants you to live forever. No one who has a hope for you. No one who can make promises to you that can be kept. Promises of life and a future. Listen to him. Listen to him especially as he tells you of his love for you. As he says, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Take and drink, this is my blood which is shed for you. Listen to the word of the cross. Where you see God in all his glory because we see his mercy. Not a glory that knocks us over, not a glory that blinds us, but a glory that draws us in. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant so that we could receive his mercy and not his judgment. So that we could come close to him and not be destroyed. So that we could be touched by him and be healed, not of physical maladies, but of the illness in our souls. Of the sin that kills us, the sin that we try day in and day out to hide. Listen to him. His words for you are life and peace. Make sure that your ears are filled with his voice. Put away, put away any voice that says anything else to you. Put away any voice that claims to stand in the place of Jesus. Do not listen to those words. Do not listen to them. You know how easy it is, even if you're skeptical, even if you think that you can withstand temptation, you know how easy it is to be drawn in by false and deceptive words. Do not listen to them. Listen to him. There's another Old Testament story that, just to round this out, I think is worth reviewing. We went over it in Bible study on Wednesday, and it's such a precious story, and it's one of my favorite ones from the Old Testament. I just want to tell it to you so you can bear it in mind as you go out into your lives this week. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. You all know how that went, the ten plagues, as God punished Pharaoh for his self-righteousness and showed his glory against God's enemies, against the enemies of his people. He took those ten plagues and he cast them on Egypt so that finally Pharaoh let the people of Israel go. And it was this magnificent display of God's love and his mercy for them. Everything that God promised to the people of Israel, he did. I will rescue you, he said, by my mighty and outstretched arm. I will rescue you and I will save you from this land of slavery. And he did it. He drew them out of Egypt, and even as the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were all killed, their firstborn sons lived because they had painted the blood of that lamb, the blood of that Passover lamb on their doorposts, and the angel of death passed over their houses, and they were saved. And they were drawn out of Egypt, and they were making their way into the desert, and they came to the Red Sea. They came to the Red Sea, and of course, they did what you could only expect. They looked ahead, and they said, we can't cross this body of water. There's no way for us to go forward. And they looked behind and they saw that Pharaoh had changed his mind about letting them go. His chariots were after them. His infantry was on its way. They heard them march, the stomping of those boots, and they were terrified. They thought they had nowhere to go. They used their senses, their eyes and their ears to perceive the world around them, and all they saw was danger on every side. They did not know what to do, and they were terrified. Moses stands up before them and he says these awesome words. I just love it. It's, he's, like Jesus, he's like the Heavenly Father speaking to Peter in our Gospel lesson. He says, Do not be afraid. All you have to do today 
is to be silent. To be silent. To listen. To watch and see if God does not do exactly what he swore he would do for you. If he does not rescue you in the face of every impossibility, in the face of this obstacle, which of course you yourselves cannot overcome, in the face of that enemy, which of course you yourselves cannot defeat, just watch and see if God does not keep his promises to you. He has done it before. He will do it again. Listen to him. Do not listen to the murmuring, even the murmuring within your own heart, that God has brought you to this place to kill you because he has brought you here for life. He has brought you to this place, to this point in your lives, to this place of being unmasked and shown for who you are in the face of enemies that you cannot defeat on your own, in the face of a devil and a world in your own sinful flesh, which you cannot defeat. He has brought you to this place where all of that is uncovered, not to destroy you, but so that you can see him overcome it for you. Listen to him. His words are peace and life. Trust in him. Hold fast to his words and be silent. Silence your own voice, your own murmurings. Silence the voices of the world around you. Listen to him. To him alone be glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.